Welcome to Mirror Flies, everybody. I'm Ryan. I'm Josh. And I'm Greg with In-Death Media. And this is the season four finale. Bum, bum, bum. Side note for those that have not already read the title. We are not doing alcohol today because we're actually recording this in the morning. It's a rare occasion, so we are only <laughs> mildly inebriated, but yeah. not enough to do an alcohol episode. Technically, it is the afternoon, technically, because we are after... Noon. Boys, you hear that? It's five o'clock somewhere. Oh, yeah. We plan to do this for noon exactly, though. But anyway, <laughs> aside from that, we are going to be covering body mist today. Now, we just have a few things to get out in the front real quick. Body! 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 And uh, first off, <laughs> the 50 for 50 that we talked about. Yes. So, as it stands, we're doing it. Not because we necessarily reached our goal, but we have been swayed so well by uh, one particular group of people. And Greg, do you want to elaborate on that? Well, first off, thank you all so much to our new patrons. We had amazing people step up, people who increased their pledge, people who jumped in, all the people who've been in the beginning. You're amazing as well. But we've had a a nice growth in our pledges, and I promise you, you will see the difference, or rather hear the difference. Although, see, hopefully. But thank you all so much. Um, So we're Mm. we're definitely going to continue on. Mm, and uh, Taste the difference. Yeah. But... So we want to give a big shout out to Miss Tracy's tech class. Fifth grade class, correct? Yes. They are an amazing group of people with an amazing teacher. Make sure you show her all kinds of respect and do all your homework and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. what's their address? Um, So apparently um, her brother does tasteful edits. I don't understand why you would cut a single word of this show, but he does tasteful edits. I don't know anything that's tasteful about the show half the time anyway. But he does tasteful edits of the show, and she apparently rewards her class with it. And we want to give a big shout out to y'all. We're so glad that you love the show. We're glad that you somehow consider this a reward. Um, <laughs> we are but, shaping uh, the minds of the future. Seriously, though, it is of the so utmost humbling. honor that we are actually it in an is, education yeah. system now. That was kind of our goal from the get-go. It's very I know humbling. we've kind of derailed into ridiculousness as we've gone on, and it's just going to get worse, just yeah, letting you know. Yeah, fair but enough. we couldn't but, believe it when we got the message. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for telling yeah. us, Miss Tracy. And, it's and, humbling. It's very humbling. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, thank you, and we hope you all love the show, and I just want to give you all a big shout-out. It's because of you that we're doing the 50 for 50 and everything that you will reap from it. So also, let's just go ahead and knock out our current patrons because we promised we would do some shout outs on air. Greg, do you want to cover those names? Thank you to everybody in the aforementioned list. So here are some of our amazing patrons. I'm going to rattle them off by their member name on Patreon. We have Amy or Amy, whatever the accent indicates, you fancy person. Uh, Connor Haining. I'm sure I'm going to get all these wrong. Craig Jessup, Gray Cat. Joss Hawkinson. Joss is a awesome fan on Twitter and everything. He's a cool dude. You should follow him. Um, Madeline Tracy, our wonderful teacher. Megan Lowe, a wonderful uh, local here. Wow. Nick with his awesome podcast, the In Savitas podcast. He does really good work there. If you love film and film industry, you should definitely check that out. And he gets actually respectable people He's, on there. He, he I, does. I, He's I, got great mentioned people. him before, I believe, and I'm still in awe of the caliber he brings in and his, um, his uh, guests. Then we have Quinn Goyer and Ween. So I don't like the last one. Thank y'all so much for all your donations. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, reach out to us anytime, and uh, as always, uh, enjoy the show. All right, last, last thing. <laughs> this is going to be quick because we know that everybody else that actually uses the internet has seen this. This is not a political issue. This is a culture issue. 
Uh, we want to talk about net neutrality real quick. As most of you know, December 14th, the FCC is going to hold a vote to repeal all net neutrality regulations, and we're not okay with that. And the simple and easy way to describe it would be, you've seen a lot of analogies for it probably, but the one for us in podcasting in particular is, let's say that there are a couple podcasts on, uh, I don't know, let's just say Squarespace, that get a pass for either being clean or family-friendly, but you might have to pay more to use the explicit ones or to listen to them, or just in general, deciding any category that we might fall into another podcast where we don't reap the benefits of you having to pay more for use of this podcast, but a internet service provider will. It's more akin to the way somebody said it is a power company. If you are using it to do some lights for an herb garden in your back, or, you know, maybe you're growing weed in, in your herb garden or whatever, you need some really strong lights, or you are just running a generator in your garage or actually or running a motor in your garage, anything, they're not going to charge you for what you're using that power on. They're just using, they're just charging you for the power that you use. That's how the internet is right now. It doesn't matter how you use your internet service provider's uh, bandwidth. It's just what, it's just how much you use of it. Right. This will open up the possibility, not the guarantee that it will happen, but the possibility is there that it can be used depending on what you use your internet service on. As we have seen in Portugal already, they already bundle things based on the content you want to use. So there's a lot to it. We could go on and on about it, um, but it is very, very threatening. And for someone like a group like us who are content creators, it's particularly threatening because we can't possibly delve out the money to compete. And it's uh, it's it's going to stifle a lot of things. So I can go on and on, but you know. So anyway, before December fourteenth, contact your appropriate people. We have some references for you, Greg and Josh. You can shoot off the ones that you think are helpful. There's one website that we're going to have inside the show notes, and basically what it is is you put your phone number in. They call you. They ask for your zip code. And then they give you the actual wording of what you can say to make it super super easy. It takes maybe two to three minutes tops. It goes a long way. I've done it. I know Greg and Ryan have done it. We really appreciate it if you guys would do it as well. It helps everybody else throughout this whole entire process. We're not going to hammer you guys anymore with it. Just thank you for your time and thank you for listening. Uh, Battleforthenet.com and then... That's the one I'm talking Electronic about. Frontier Foundation. Go FCC yourself, which is uh, John, John Oliver's. Oliver's. There's so many great resources. You should totally contribute to them and fight. All right. So now that we have that out the way, on with the show. Yes. So we are covering body myths again, body. and I don't really think we need much more preamble to that. So Josh, you want to yep. go ahead and start with the first topic? Yep. Our first topic this evening is mucus color determines infection. Now, Ryan, you have brought this one up before. Yeah. I think I was told this by both my mother and my father, who both worked in the medical field for years and years and years. Uh so I just kind of took it for what it was worth. I thought it was kind of like just a rule of thumb type of deal. Yeah, that's basically how most people interpret it to be. And I have... I think it was like green is viral, yellow is bacterial. Yes. It might be opposite, but I know green and yellow are the two that I've heard. I, when I was doing my research, it kept getting flip-flopped, actually. So there was no clear way which way it would go. Um, but the the origin of this, I have no idea. I tried looking up for one. I couldn't find anything. I just think it's one of those things that somebody said, and it just continues to get See, that's along. the thing with like these type of like health deals. A lot of the times, they're old wives' tales that really probably predate um, a type of um, written history of sorts. However, I mean, back then there wasn't a discerning between viral and bacterial because they didn't know about viruses I mean, or bacteria. But yeah. that could actually give you some indication as to how you should treat something depending on how something looked. Well, I like the idea behind it 
with something like this because it's something so simple that most people can grasp it. I mean, as long as you know your colors. So if you're colorblind, you're screwed. But <laughs> yeah, I think that actually falls in the range for colorblindness for most people. It does. The blue it, and yellow spectrum. It does. Absolutely. So, um, but the, the main one I kept seeing is that when, when your mucus is green, you need antibiotics. Um, that's what it kept boiling down to. So the first thing you need to know about mucus, though, is it's basically like oil for your engine, your mouth hole engine basically. Okay. Um, as somebody who works in um, an industry with motors, pumps, things like that, I cannot tell you how important having oil is for that. And so in turn for your body, are you saying you spit on the engines? I won't confirm nor deny I've done such a thing. Um, <laughs> the number one problem that people have on all machines, and it actually pertains to your body too, lubrication. Mm-hmm. It's so, so, so important. Yeah, tell me more about it. Mm-hmm. Without it, things won't run properly or as smoothly. This guy knows what I'm talking about. Um, so next time you have a cold or just blowing out snot rag after snot rag, it's just basically your body's way of saying your stuff's running fine, actually. It's kind of counterintuitive to what you would think. You would think that you're more sick, but it's actually just helping you. Our bodies are really fascinating in how well it tries to take care of us. We've gone through that time and time again, but like, you know, we as humans tend to treat our bodies like playgrounds more than anything. And it really just tries to help us out throughout the whole time. So mucus also acts as a protectant in our bodies by trapping dust and unwanted bacteria and things like that. So I work with melamine. That's the number one thing that I, I, I've harped on that I continue to work with. Poisoning little Chinese babies. That's not me. That was in China. Um, we'll get, you know, we're going to have to get into that. At oh, some that's going to be a Patreon bonus. Yeah. I, you guys have no choice in that. Yeah. We're going to talk about food fraud. I, I'm totally fine with that. And I can give firsthand experience with melamine, but basically what you need to know with this stuff, like I mentioned before, it's like very, very fine powder chalk. And I cannot tell you how many white boogers I pick out of my nose every day at work. It's disgusting, but I also know it's that like, it's like, you've been doing like frosty blow the entire time. Dude, I swear. I look like a cocaine dealer half the time when I come home. Like I just a I, bad one at that. A very terrible one. Yes. Very low quality cut. Shit. Um, but basically when I'm picking out these boogers now, like I know it's my body trying to help me out from ingesting this disease, which granted, and it, I don't deal with it enough to where it could hurt me, but it's still not good to have inside of you. Um, your mucus also contains different elements of your immune system, like what blood, white blood cells. So it kills unwanted invaders. So this mucus is very, very important to your body, which I had no idea how important it was. Yeah. I mean, I think if it's there, it probably serves a purpose aside from that bastard of an appendix. I I was just going to bring that up. What about your appendix? So if you guys had a guess, how much mucus would you say your body makes on a typical day? Oh, we're going, mm, I'm going to go with, uh, Quarter cup. Quarter cup? A gallon. A liter to a liter and a half. Jesus. Yeah. And you don't know most of it. Like, it trickles down your throat hole throughout the day. You're finding ways to just make this, like, just make this look. <laughs> well, see, that's interesting because, like, I always heard of, like, you know, you can get sick from, like, a nasal drip and all that type of stuff. Exactly. And, like, you're not supposed to get the mucus in your stomach. But mm-hmm. really, like... Those two channels right there, like your, uh, like your I brachial. Do, uh, I don't know what it's called. I know what you're talking about. I don't know what it's called. I just feel like the sinus and the actual like uh, digestive tract are too closely aligned at the entrance for you to really get too sick from it. I don't know. I, I'm not a doctor. Rumor flies. We're not doctors. We're gonna we're, or lawyers. I'm a, yeah, or cops. <laughs> yeah, well, so you can tell us whatever you want. <laughs> Let's get into what the different colors are and what they mean. Could it possibly be something as simple as different colors mean different things are going on inside your body? It's like a pregnancy test for bacteria or viruses. Which one are you going to be harboring? 
Yeah, I mean that's that's basically the line decent. of thinking. It's yeah, decent. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 you're you're right on there. Um, the short answer is yes, but it doesn't work quite the way that you think it does. So when does it ever in this show? No, never. Um, when the white blood cells in our mucus start dealing with something that can hurt us, they respond by producing an enzyme to keep those bad boys out. These enzymes contain iron, which actually gives off that green color. I had no idea. Hmm. I, I, I didn't know that. I didn't even know iron gave off a color. Well, usually iron I'd associate with red. I mean, or... Same here. Or black. I mean, when I was dealing with uh, my, my old undergrad research, we had to deal with different types of like stuff like spectroscopy. And I got to see a bunch of different elements and what kind of... Um, color they would emit, they emit on yeah. the spectrum. Right. And iron is usually associated with red. Like a lot of uh, red tattoo inks have a lot of iron in them. So, But you also, if you remember the spectrum though, red's not that far from yellow or green. That's true. So uh, that's just interesting. Well, actually, red yeah. is the exact opposite of green. Well, green's right in the middle though, right? I'm looking at it. Red, orange, yellow, two. green, blue, indigo, violet? Yeah, that's the way to go. I don't know. Let's move on to this before we okay. dig ourselves deeper into a penalty shot. So the, the iron gives off this, uh, this green color. And when the mucus just hangs around in your body, let's say when you were sleeping, it becomes concentrated and can start to turn a yellowish color or it can just stay green. It really depends on how long it is actually just kind of hanging out inside of you. So whether it is a virus or it is bacterial, it really doesn't matter because the mucus just will change color regarding how long it stays inside of you. Okay. So... That part of the myth is not actually true. Most infections, actually, most sinus infections specifically, are viral, and viral infections don't actually require antibiotics, which I never knew. Uh, yeah, I, I think antibiotics are just against bacteria. It is, yeah. Uh, I mean, it makes sense. It's just something I never really thought about. The, the rule of thumb is always bacterial. You treat virus, you, like... You let you it, run its, course. Course. You have to run its course. Well, exactly. viruses are really weird. Technically, they're not even... They don't fit the criteria for life forms, technically. Yeah. So have we covered that? No, we haven't. But the short answer is they are not able to reproduce on their own. They need a host to. Right. Yeah. 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 To hijack the DNA to make their own viruses that go out and do it to other cells. Right. 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 So the basic thing is, is that um, since most sinus infections are viral, you can just skip the doctor and let nature run its course. Now, going back to being doctors. But that's the not symptoms every case. still. Yeah. No, it's not fun. I get that. Um, it's not every case. And I'm not telling you not to go to the doctor. We're not telling you not to go to the doctor. But typically antibiotics got a spot of Ebola just ride it out oh yeah. and PSA if you're prescribed antibiotics and you're all like oh you're taking pills take it as prescribed it is really bad if you stop an antibiotics mid-course Ooh, it can cause point. serious serious problems yeah and you re- yeah just quick thing we can go to another time but listen to the not listen doctor. to the doctors <laughs> now, I'm telling you to listen to your doctor and don't be an asshole <laughs> yeah anyway the long way to wrap this up is that the mucus color does not actually dictate whether it is viral or whether it's bacterial or anything like that. It's just the way the mucus is inside of your body, and it can change colors depending on how much iron is actually in your mucus. Hmm. So we're leaning more towards green and yellows out the window here? I'm leaning... Because I've seen more yellow... I mean, I get it's going to be gross regardless, but anytime I've like spit like a really good loogie, it sometimes it's been yellower than green, but maybe it's just working its way to turning green or something like I, that. Yeah, that's typically what it is. It's, it's on it. Well, no, no, no. It's green, and then it turns yellow. Oh, okay. I missed that one right yeah, there. Yeah, other way around. Which, okay. yeah. So it was in your body for a while. So yellow is you're getting over it pretty much. Um, I wouldn't say that. I would say that it's less concentrated. Okay, that works. Yeah. So that, so that one's not a yes because 
There's it's, no. It's not surefire way to say if it's, it's not this color. Indicator, it's that, it's, it's just color. showing that you're fighting an infection in general. Yeah. So, okay. Basically, that works for you, me. You're lubing up your mouth hole. All right. Uh, <laughs> it's only going to get more risque as we go. Anyway, should we go to the next topic? Yep. All right. So my topic is going to be the pimple triangle of death. Yeah, I've never actually heard this before. Um, as with uh, most uh, things on this podcast, but Greg, you've mentioned, you've heard it mentioned briefly at some point. Yeah. It's been a while, but I've definitely heard of it before. Well, this one came from the lovely fiance. She told me about this and I was like, I was like, Oh yeah, actually I think I have heard something like that. Now my initial off the bat before I started doing any research heard this. And the myth is that, um, there is a certain triangle from like the bridge of the nose to like going down to the corners of your lips and then connecting at there, that little triangle on your face uh-huh. where if too much pressure is applied to it, a like from example, popping an acne zit, you can actually cause uh, a blood clot or infection or all sorts of different things, nerve damage, and it can kill you. I mean, that's the thing I think of automatically is like if you, if you take the palm of your hand and you punch up into someone's nose, that could kill them. Yeah, I think that might be a completely different situation, but it might factor into but, it. But that's what I'm saying. I kind of, I mean, it's very much different an types of hemorrhaging and stuff. Right. Exactly. I'm going to kind of connect it right there. But after hearing that in general, that sounds to me a lot like one of those scare tactics that a parent would do to their child to avoid them getting facial scars. Yeah. Because if you, you know, pop acne enough or anything like that, you run the risk of getting scars in your face for a while. I mean, lots of people suffer from that. It's, I mean, I've luckily gotten away pretty much scot-free from it, but a lot of people do have just terrible scars yeah, from back I, in their yeah. teenage years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that, that, that that's that's what I thought this was from. Yeah. It was just parents kind of telling you, oh, if you eat too much chocolate, you're going to get acne. And if you pop that acne, you're going to die. So, you know. <laughs> They, so they ramp it up a tiny bit. <laughs> so what you're saying is don't eat chocolate. Yes. <laughs> don't even start the temptation. So getting into the science of this, we are going to be covering a few terms that I'm probably going to shorten because it's a little bit hard for me to say them in their full wording sometimes. But uh, Welcome to the club. Short. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the root of this issue comes from something called the cavernous sinus, which is located at the base of the brain, like right under the meninges was the, like the outer layer of the brain. And then it, where the word meningitis comes I from. Got, I got that. But in a, another reference for it is if you were to like take a stick and just go straight through your face, not, I'm not doing it graphically, but if you were to like point directly behind your nose uh-huh. from your face, that's where your cavernous sinus would be. Okay. And that has a lot of different things connected to it. Now, uh, they are all connected to the mouth, nose, and ears, like the, all the parts of the cavernous sinus. So that's why it's called your, you know, your sinuses. And the ear, nose, and throat doctor. Yeah, exactly. And it actually connects to your eyes a little bit, too. Because, uh, you know, you have, have you ever seen how some people can, like, blow bubbles out of, like, the corner of oh, their yeah, eye? Oh, yeah, those weirdos. Yeah, that's because it's connected to the sinus in some way, and they can just, like, blow some air out. Really cool thing, but I am not able to do it. I've it's tried. Weird. It's weird. I, I nearly popped an eye out doing nope. it, but you know. Nope. Yeah. So uh, it turns out that due to the communication between the facial vein, which is this area where is the, the triangle of death is located, okay. and it branches out a little bit more, and the cavernous sinus through a couple of different vascular valves, or venal valves I think is the word they use for it, there is a correlation that can cause a multitude of symptoms uh, mainly one called cavernous sinus throm- thrombosis, which I am going to shorten to CST from here on. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so the CST is a clot in the cavernous sinus that can cause a multitude of symptoms. And this clot can come from infection. And uh, I'll get to more of it in a second. Is it fatal? Yes. It, well, it can be fatal. Okay. It is a life-threatening issue. It very much can be. Uh, and the cavernous sinus is connected to six different cranial nerves. So the ones governing oh, wow. mainly your eyes, ears, mouth, all this sort of stuff. And just lots of your proprioception. It just your head has a lot of senses in it. Yeah. If you think about it. And you we'll don't get into wanna... that. We'll get into that, Ryan. I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, cool. And it can cause impediment in multiple in, uh, motor functions in your head and elsewhere. And uh, this is most effective in the eyes, but it can also cause sepsis, which is just another term for infection in the blood, and then hemorrhaging, which is just life-threatening, yeah. extremely life-threatening. Yeah. And it turns out that a 1937 study by a particular, this guy's name is Urban Mays. Uh, don't know what that comes, it's Urban, just spelled as is, and then, M- <laughs> and then M-A-E-S. And they found that 61% of, ca- of CSTs, their cases were caused by boils, or the scientific term, Furuncles in the upper face. Oh, furuncles sounds way more fun than boils. Furuncles sounds like a very niche form of the furry community. <laughs> but it's not, to my knowledge. I was going to say, you don't know that. Hey, Greg, fact checker. <laughs> look up furuncles. Uh, not one word. Look up two words. Continuing on from furuncles in the upper face, this uh, these infections are boils, right? Essentially, it can be zits, but it's mostly like thinking of uh, ingrown hairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know when like you shave sometimes and you get like more or less zits? That's really the result of an ingrown hair. Yeah. And it turns out that these, the 61% of the cases for CST where the infection comes from the facial vein, you get an infection from that uh, little uh, ingrown hair. Yeah. It can make its way to the cavernous sinus and cause CST, which will uh, in turn... It, the CST will get clotted up and it would cause pressure on all these cranial nerves that are connected in your cavernous and, sinus yeah. and cause this multitude of symptoms or worse. Like I said, hemorrhaging, all sorts of different things. You could die from it, yeah. That's terrible. So, yeah, it's it sounds pretty scary. Like, it, I, I, when I saw all of this on, like, the first, like, glance through, it was like, holy crap. It turns out this thing's true. However, uh, due to modern medicine and antibiotics, which we had just talked about, it turns out these cases are very, very far and few between, and there is no actual correlation to popping an acne zip because most of the time those are on like the uh, outer surface of your skin, so it's much less likely to be connected to the main facial vein. And the way I would just think of it, kind of off the top of the cuff, would be we're humans are strong, but we're never going to do anything so we shouldn't do anything, I should say. Most of the time, our body won't let us do something that is so hurtful to us that it could cause something like yeah, that. Yeah, we mainly have capillaries. And, like, you know, when you pop zits and you get a little bit of bleeding or something like that, you, that is mainly just from, like, the surface capillaries. Right. Which mainly just kind of shoot out as opposed to circulating back, back in. in. Yeah. There's a whole lot more science that I could have gone into for this. But just for the fact that I was having a hard time putting it all together, I'm just kind of just... Really <laughs> just cutting it down to the bare minimum. Yeah. But popping zits, there's no direct correlation to a CST, the cavernous sinus thrombosis. So I'm going to eat all that chocolate is what you're telling me. Yeah, and just pop away, man. If you got that weird fetish, oh, God, that subreddit R popping is so I, gross. I, uh, friend, my, uh, the friend who 
put coins in his mouth because <laughs> he liked the way they taste, frequents that subreddit yeah. all the time. It's therapeutic to people. See, here's the thing that bothers me about that little, I'm not going to say exactly fetish. It can be a fetish for some people, yeah. but it also, some people just get a sense of satisfaction about it. I it's think I'll just say, I used to have pretty bad acne when I was younger, like a lot of like forehead stuff just from my bangs. And a little on my back, and like it was definitely satisfying. There was actually like a sense of like release for doing it yourself. But on yourself. But with other people, I found that I and I had friends and even family member who was like, "Oh yeah, yeah let me like pop." I'm like, "No, do not touch me. That is weird. <laughs> like it is gross and weird. I don't want to watch other people do it." I know you and an ex-girlfriend used to do that to each other. Yeah. I remember y'all talking about that, and yeah. I was pretty grossed out by it. Yeah. But it's notice one... notice the ex-girlfriend part, right? Yeah, but it's one thing <laughs> to like have that you know, in your private enjoyment. But it seems like people that are into like popping or I guess poppers in general have no problem sharing it with the world. I've seen Carlene like show me her Facebook feed and her just go, oh God, oh God. Several people that she's friends with on Facebook, she really needs to filter her feed. I was going to say, she just needs new post friends. popping videos. Mm-hmm. And there's, like I said, a whole subreddit for it. There is no shame to it. And they think that everybody else is going to like this. Nobody shares their porn online. Nobody shares their gore videos that they like. Uh-huh. Ted and, Cruz has a word with you. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> he's not human. So, um, <laughs> that's some of my favorite stuff on the internet. Yeah. Uh, politics aside, not human. No. So, <laughs> but anyway, I don't know where I was going from that, but aside from it, popping, not going to be a problem. I'm sorry. I'm getting off the pulpit. It's not going to hurt you. CSTs are a real thing and they are life threatening. If you think you have something going wrong, like you have like your eyelids, like closing a little bit too much, like they feel really heavy or you just feel a little bit disoriented. Like your motor functions are a little off. You could have a CST. You might need to go to the doctor. Let's go the WebMD route and just, you don't have cancer, but you could have a life threatening illness in its own. Go to the doctor. Just go to the doctor. That's probably going to be the take home from this. Just go to the doctor if you need, if you think you need to. Okay. So, uh, don't worry about that. Teenagers, you're safe. Don't listen to your parents ever, okay? <laughs> Josh, moving on to yours. Okay, so my second topic this evening is you lose 90% of your body heat through your head. Brian, you, I know you've heard this before. We've talked about this many times. Our particular train enthusiast friend, yes. who we've had to bleep out his name several times yes, on the yes, show. Yes, 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 I remember his mom saying one time exactly this, that you lose 90% of your body heat from your head. So technically, you could just go out into the winter naked and just wrap up your head like crazy. So you look like, like a naked Tuscan Raider and just... Um, <laughs> You'll be okay. Um, actually, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because there's a lot of truth to what you just said and you have no idea what I'm even talking about yet. So should I just, I'm not trying to shit on anything of yours, but there's Do some it. obvious Do flaws it. for me right now off the bat because I was going to withhold those because I figured it was going to come out. No, no, no. Go ahead. Just go ahead into them. See, I'm against this whole 90% thing from the head because number one, usually when we're in uh, stages of hypothermia, the first like supply of blood flow goes away from the extremities and mm-hmm. goes straight to the core. Yep. Also, why, like I said, you know, some people that are stockier can handle the uh, cold better is because they have more, like, you know, core temperature right there. We, we prefer more lovable, Ryan. I'm not talking about <laughs> you in particular, okay? Uh, but, you know, that's what, you know, people grow body hair all over their chest for us. It's to keep, you know, kind of warm. Yeah, no, no, you're right. You're, and you're right in what you're saying. With that thought, I know the head has a lot of important functions in it, like, for instance, the brain. Yeah, we'll go with that. But I don't think that you would lose most of your heat from your head. And one of our 
friends last night told me when I was going over these topics, I just mentioned them to her. She said, I've heard it like comes from your ears, which is why they show like in cartoons, people like steaming out their ears. So technically it's still the head, but more specifically, you lose heat from your ears. I'm not going to put any weight into that. one. I, I don't do that. Um, so my first thought when I when I was researching this was bald people are screwed. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Bald people are screwed. Um like my line of thinking here is that we would be just as cold. And this is what you basically said. We would be just as cold without a hat as would be without a shirt, without socks, without pants or any of that stuff. Basically is what you're telling me it, that if it, the head is that important, you could literally do what you just said. Go outside with your head wrapped up with something and no other clothes on and you'd be fine. Yeah, that's not true. No, I figured as much. Okay. No. Um, there is a believed origin to this, though. And the one that people Ooh, point we to. We like that. Yeah. A 1970. I haven't had a good origin in a while. I know. This I is got a, one. This is a real Ooh. good one. A 1970 Army Survival Manual recommending covering the head because 40 to 45% of your body heat is lost through there. So when did they double it? So there was a very terrible military experiment done in the 1950s where this stems from, actually. The 50s had the most interesting military experiments, though. Can we put it that way? Uh, um, I mean, aside from the Manhattan uh, Project. uh, But after that, they did, like, the crazy, like, human-based one. Like, you know, you had, like, MKUltra and all that crazy stuff. But they were just, like, throwing stuff on the wall with just, like... What, see what if happens? We, what if we cover this dude's body in cats and throw him out of a plane? Yep. They'll, they'll, they'll land, land straight on up. Yeah, It'll yeah, be fine. They'll, It'll be, be fine. fine. No yeah. problems. No problems. All good to go. Um, who needs parachutes when you have kitties? So uh, the military experiment in the 1950s, they basically exposed people in Arctic survival suits to extremely cold conditions, and they were freezing their butts off, even with the gear that they had. And so they figured that they were still losing all their body heat because their head was the only thing that wasn't covered. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that, that's the science behind it. That's a strange deductive reasoning right yep. there. Yep. Okay. So the fact is that our chest, our head, and our face is where we feel the biggest changes in temperature. It's where we feel the biggest changes in temperature. Yeah. I mean, if I ever go on a run in cold weather, I almost never wear long pants. I just wear shorts. Not that we have extremely cold weather, yeah, uh, like was... winters here, but my legs are the last thing that I cover up. Uh, and usually I take it off my arms too, because usually I'm just trying to keep my core and my head like warm yeah i'll no. wear a hood but exactly I will keep that, my shorts i was just gonna say that um so when we do cover up the the head the face the chest all that stuff neck back yeah we feel like we're preventing warmth from leaving our bodies Pussy and crack yeah, no, nice <laughs> but in reality covering up one of these body parts has just as much of an effect as covering up another part of your body with no real difference we just feel that way heat does not escape exclusively through the head so that's the basic premise of it. Yeah, I mean, don't we have a lot of like uh, nerves in our face that would probably be able to feel a lot in general? I'm getting to that. Okay. Um, there was a study that I wanted to point out where it really drove this home. And in the study, they gave volunteers drugs to stop them from shaking because one of the things I wanted to mention earlier about hypothermia, which was surprised you didn't, our body involuntarily shakes to combat heat loss. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like to kind of generate heat a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why when you start running, you get less cold as you're going. Exactly. You know, just in ge- that's what sweating is. It like bees. sweating. Sweating cools your body down. Shaking and shimmering warms your body up. We talked about bees recently. Something that we didn't mention was the fact that some colonies of bees, if they have an invader like the Japanese uh, hornet, yeah, it goes into uh, a beehive. They will all just crowd around it and then start just shivering their thor- uh, their, their yeah. abdomens on it like crazy yeah. and bake it. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Just they, they will the fry the wasp. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You're exactly right. Um, 
So in the study, they submerged some people entirely, and then they submerged people up until basically their neck. Uh, their neck was above the water, so their heads were above water. They also gave some people just a bathing suit to wear, and others they gave insulated dry rubber suit with socks and gloves. And they kept everybody in the water for 45 minutes. So everybody lost heat when they first entered the water. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. When you're, when you're getting dipped into a colder temperature, you're going to lose some body heat. Now, those who were fully submerged while wearing the insulated clothing lost only half as much heat as the people in swimming costumes with their heads poking out of the water. So that basically shows that when the, the head is allowed to get cold and the body is effectively insulated, the body's core temperature drops a lot more rapidly than people would expect. Okay. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, the reason being basically is a heat exchanger. Okay. Does anybody know what a heat exchanger is? I mean, it's, it's very simple concept. Uh, they use it a lot in, in the, the oil industry where I work and they take something that's really, really hot and they send it in pipes going from left to right, basically. And they'll take cold, cold, cold water and going from right to left and they pass one another. Yeah. So it heats up the water and it cools down the oil. Yeah, it recirculates like that. We have a few different processes like that. The yeah. milk industry uses that a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, it does. But basically what it is, it's it's a cheap, effective way to cool the temperature and heat up the water. Mm-hmm. And all you're doing is just passing right by one another. Not mixing them, but just passing one another in the pipes. Yeah. It's a very, very simple concept. It's awesome. Um, the last, it's super cheap. Like, it's super effective. Um, the last weird physiological fact I'll get into, people do not shiver when only their head is exposed to the elements. Shivering slows down your rate of cooling and not shivering makes you cool quicker than you otherwise would. So it's really weird that you don't shiver when only your head is exposed to cold weather. Like as long as the rest of you is bundled up, you're not going to shiver. Hmm. I didn't really think about that. that. That is a physiological fact. Well, I guess since your core is already being supplied most, like your, all your vital organs are already warm where the way you need to be. Yep. Yeah. I didn't really think about that. And not only that, kind of going back to what you were saying um, with uh, your head having all kinds of uh, important things. Your scalp contains a lot of blood vessels that s- sit particularly close to the surface of the skin, much like you just mentioned in the uh, pimple triangle. Yeah, and I, we didn't talk about the alcohol warming you up because I think Mythbusters ca- covered that one yeah, plenty yeah. enough. But yeah, it makes you feel warmer because it makes your capillaries flare up on like the surface. And that's, that's exactly why you it. feel warmer. And the other thing is that um, only 10% of your overall heat loss and the cold pool from the study was because your head is only about seven to nine percent of your body surface. Oh, that's a good point too. Yeah. So think about surface area in relation to everything else. Yeah. That's why we need to cool off in general. The yeah. More surface. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yep. And also in the converse, well, in the inverse. Yeah. And on the flip side of it. There we go. <laughs> You have the people that are trying to, like, regulate their heat. They cover themselves. I think you did this. Cover yourself in trash bags and run a few uh, laps. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. for football and stuff. Terrible practice, by the way. But it, you will you sweat. You will sweat. Yeah. You will sweat. That's why they have the uh, they sell the solar suits. Like, the black as night, like, jumpsuits, basically, that you cover yourself in. So you go run and you can sweat more. So that way, because it keeps your body insulated and it makes the heat basically recycle. And it just makes you sweat more and more and more. All right, so the myth that I'm going to be covering now is pretty fun, honestly. It's going I, to be... I, but just based off the title, it doesn't seem fun to me. Yeah, well, okay, actually, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it was fun to research, and that makes it sound much more... Lo- okay, so <laughs> we're going to be covering the blanket idea that abstinence from ejaculation or masturbation will cause a increase in testosterone. But 
there is much more connected to it. Can but, I can I just kind of give my two cents right off the get go? Sure. Okay. Um, I do think that there is some credence to this, and I'm gonna tell you why. A lot of boxers and a lot of um, MMA fighters as well. A lot of times they tell them before a big fight, like a week before the big fight, not to have sex, not to masturbate, not to do anything like that for men. So that allows the testosterone to build up. Women is the exact opposite. They tell them to continue with their sex drive and things like that to keep that momentum going into the fight. Really? Just get that tension up? Yeah. And and just to, to, because you have that exposure to those endorphins and things like that. Yeah. So just by the time you're fighting, you just want to f*** them up. (laughs) You just, you had to do it. Yeah, I had to. Okay. We're going to try to not get too uh, sophomoric with this one, but it's going to happen. So I apologize ahead of time. And I've kind of set some landmines up for Josh in the first place. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) Real nice. So we're going to go ahead and start with the blanket one that this will increase testosterone. And just as Josh said, there is some at least professional uh, credence to it that like some people actually go by this practice. Yeah. Some people firmly believe in it. And there is also an entire community based around this oh i know we're gonna get to it but Uh um, the other things that have been posited it says that abstaining from orgasm whether by masturbation or sex can cause an increase in testosterone in men specifically and then masturbation can also lead to addiction and decrease in testosterone levels like a porn addiction specifically i was gonna say i can see that Uh, i'll elaborate on it but also the abstaining from uh, masturbation or ejaculation and the increase in testosterone can also cause a pheromone release, which will cause, you know, you to be more attractive to the fairer sex or the opposite sex in general. I'm a man. I'm coming. Yeah. I, that's, <laughs> there we go. That get, Just get it out. I just, just had to. I can't not do it. Alex Jones. So we checked out, uh, oh, we, me, I went to a particular subreddit called NoFap which is actually uh, a trademarked term now. Is it? Yes, so we cannot name the episode NoFap. Okay, that's fine. And there's also a website for it. It's a whole movement, I would say, at this uh, point. I'll use the word cult. And I would say yes. Uh-huh. Because after researching this, this is totally a cult. This is Absolutely. a st- very strange community. It's almost like the holistic medicine community or the homeopathic. It's very interesting. I will say that. And they, I, uh, they, what they, it basically boils down to, from what little I, I try to stay away from it, is that what they make it appear to be is that by abstaining from this, you get superpowers. Yeah, it's all things like you are more focused uh you you have close relationships with your, with your uh, significant other yeah. your peers yeah. uh you don't have as much of like a um like a block in your head from masturbating because they it's it's all based around from when i checked in the sidebar an addiction type of thing because i wanted to give this a fair pass and i looked at what they were basing a lot of their stuff off of okay and it wasn't like what happens if you don't do it it's what happens if you do masturbate and why they've chose not to well it's because it's better to prove a negative or it's it's harder to prove a negative so yeah it's true So I checked out the sidebar and looked at a few of the references. I didn't go all the way through it, but I checked out three different things. Uh, One of them was an article that was referenced that it's a, uh, let's see. One of the things in the sidebar was a 2003 study that the Hangzhou Normal College in China. Yes, it's called the Normal College. Normal College as opposed to an abnormal college. Yes, 
okay. they determined that abstinence from ejaculation in males caused a roughly 140% increase in, te- in testosterone levels after seven days. So on the seventh day, you just get this big peak. Okay. Like one and a half times your normal uh, rate. I can get behind that. That that makes sense. I mean, that was a study. That's what they found. I mean, if your body's used to a certain thing, it's going to try to do its best to keep up with it. Like I said, our bodies is w- are wonderful at trying to like maintain ourselves. Yeah, we'll get back to it. Okay. We'll get back to that study. Now, that being said, they're using that as like, oh, so that's one little bur- perk. Also, you're kind of fighting a Addiction in the meantime. And also they say the whole thing of like, you know, masturbation, not only uh, not doing it will increase your testosterone, but doing it will lower your testosterone. That's one of the important ones that I saw right there. So that's a con they're going by. So that's one of the things. Then I checked out two videos that they had, and both of them were along the same lines. The first one was about a three-minute video that talks about the uh, addiction cycle pretty much and like the dopamine pathways and how... Uh, ejaculation releases dopamine and when you watch porn you associate that with the ejaculation and the dopamine release that makes you feel good that's like your feel-good drug in the body dopamine is responsible for your reward pathways. yeah we've we've talked about dopamine before just a refresher yeah and but once you trigger these reward pathways you get more of an association with porn and a few different things can happen it's like pavlov you get conditioned to it not only that you get conditioned and just like addiction for you know drugs or food or anything else the more you're exposed to it the more you get desensitized by it and therefore you're going to need more of it and you end up in this whole like pornography addiction well i have a problem with that i don't order more sushi rolls every time i go eat even though i love sushi Well, there are legit eating addictions but they're pretty much saying like you start with one video today by the end of the month you're going to be at like watching six porn videos every hour or something like that to get your fix just like you know taking more heroin to get a bet the same fix that you had in the previous one and then you switch arms and die i mean you (laughs) you got to do fun you got to find the right moment though you got to synchronize it yeah and they say that because of this like you know they they have like tons of charts in these videos the second one is a more elaborate one it's a tedx talk which we know how much uh (laughs) 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 we all know (laughs) i was waiting for it you did it i was going to uh greg do you want to tell us the difference between a ted talk and a tedx talk um, see, you know the difference between them because uh, TEDx actually allowed me to speak, and it's why it'll never excel to a level that people take it seriously. Hey, um, so hey, I will say, <coughs> as someone who has watched it multiple times, you nailed it, buddy. Thanks, fam. I, it was a good show. It was very good. Anyway, so the the difference between TED and TEDx that TEDx is independently done. Um, it is not necessarily put on by the national group. So um, a it's very popular with universities. So you can have like two lanes TEDx talks. Yeah. So TEDx TU, right. TEDx UVA, TEDx this, and it's very much. They use the brand, but they are very, very strict about keeping it divided and separate. And they are not the large parent organization is not as accountable for what the TEDx talks do. Right. And the person in this TEDx talk that I was watching is a man named Gary Wilson that runs a website and a book called Your Brain on Porn. And he pretty much just took the idea of the addiction, uh, the addiction cycle or like the dopamine pathways and just took an addiction Mad Lib and filled in all the blanks with porn. Like, it could have been the same thing for drugs. Yeah, you could, could have been the same thing. Insert topic, basically. Yes. And, you know, it. looking at it, it's very convincing off the bat. Like, he has charts saying, like, you know, when they took, like, sheep, you know, they took longer to reach a climax with a the same woman as opposed to a bunch of new women. So what they're applying that with 
or just in general. I don't know if it was sheep in general. There were sheep on the chart. Yeah. It was like a bar chart, but instead of like little dots, it was, it was a broken line chart. Uh, this, yeah, it was sheep in there. And wake up, sheeple. So what they're saying is since you're seeing so many different new stimuli, like with these new women when you watch porn or men, depending on how it is. Yeah, whatever. I, I'm going to get to the women thing. I'm not trying to be sexist and just focus on the men. It's just the fact is off the bat, couldn't find much on the whole women. No fap deal. That's interesting. I'll talk about it. Huh? But it's a good point, though. It's cultural, a very fair point. Yeah, the actual movement culture is definitely centers around oh, absolutely. straight white men generally. Like, that's pretty much... Yeah. <laughs> Just like how there's, like, a red pill women subreddit. Like, you know, women that are proponents of the red pill theory. Yeah. Which I don't want to even mention anymore. No. There's one for NoFap where there's supportive women for it because of these aforementioned things. It will lead to... If you don't watch as much porn, you'll be more interested in your partner that you're with. Or you'll be more interested in going out into the real world and seeking out a real partner. Or, you know, you'll just change your habits it'll change you type of deal yeah but my argument here is i'm not i know i know but subscribing like, to this i know you're not and and my thing is here is that nothing will ever replace human interaction yeah and i should say this right off the bat that let's go ahead for this conversation throw out any religious or moral arguments yeah, about point. masturbation yeah. we are just talking about the physiological effects right. of it that's we have not we are not giving anything about how right or wrong it is to masturbate. Right. We're going with what they're talking about here and the physical effects. And they're saying that, you know, this addiction pathway can cause you to lose interaction with the, the real world, or you're going to have erectile dysfunction off of that. And erectile dysfunction is an actual condition that uh, has its actual symptoms and causes. And it turns out that porn's not one of them. Delayed ejaculation is one of the results of maybe watching too much porn. And they have this thing called edging where you, you know, oh, yeah, kind of yeah. masturbate, but well, don't actually ejaculate. In, uh, they talk about that in Orange is the New Black. They have a whole, that like really popularized it in a lot of ways. No, 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 no. Edging. No, 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 I'm saying, but like it like, it was a huge pop culture, like usage of it, I'm saying. Oh, well, like, edging's was, been huge in a, lo in a lot of cults. And, and I'm not, I'm, I'm trying not oh, no, to make no, I'm just talking about, about a popular cult. culture. Oh, yeah, you're right. No, edging is a huge part of different cults. Oh, yeah, I'm talking about in popular culture. A lot of people heard of it for the first time because oh, no, Orange no, no. the New Black had a whole thing about it. It was actually but, really funny. But a lot of <laughs> but a lot of cults from like the 70s and yeah, stuff like that. I think Om Shinrikyo, the guys that's that the, did the that's Sarah the and Gas exact attack. one. That's the exact yeah, one I was going to tell you about. It all boils down to like denying yourself something to strengthen you, yourself. They get to the point where, you know, you get to a certain point with Om Shinrikyo is you, we'll have to mention more about that later. It's delayed satisfaction. But it got to a point where you were supposed to edge like five times in an hour something absurd like uh, om shinrikyo is a whole show in its own self yes well not part of, not germane to the conversation no. at the moment so it talks about this type of thing where you know they have different practices of like how you abstain but this video is based off of you're fighting the addiction and the kind of like mental disorder of wanting to masturbate or watching porn like they consider porn to be a straight up disorder here and, you know, they didn't mention the whole uh, testosterone increase. I, the no-fab community is mainly almost like a temperance movement for masturbation. Mm -hmm. Just to be rid of it completely. Yeah, it's not even with the testosterone thing. It's just one of those added perks, the, the pheromones and all that. So I will give it to them. They're basing it more off of a principle than the uh, effect of, like, just you can get a better workout from it and stuff like that, which I actually saw in the bodybuilding forums. That's what they... Did that art? That's what they posted that article for is because okay. you get a boost in testosterone, or you know, you can just f better because you have an increase in testosterone. I'm a man and I'm coming. Or for, like I said, the red pillars, <laughs> the red pillars, they will do it because they think that, you know, you know, love and relationships are bullshit. You're just going to get more pheromones coming out of you so you can attract women. Yeah. So that's one of the things 
they all have their reasons, but the no fat movement is mainly on just kind of like this temperance type of deal. It's really weird. It's very weird. Uh, so anyway, continuing, anti-masturbation has existed since the dawn of organized religion, but focuses, let's focus more on the recent years. Okay. As in like the past uh, millennium. Hundred, yeah, yeah. yeah, a couple hundred, uh, less than millennium. Um, and here's a little bit of history. There was a resurgence in the 18th century uh, when the uh, Swiss physician Samuel Tissot, T-I-S-S-O-T, I'm going to call it Tissot. Let's go with it. Uh, believed masturbation was an illness that weakened the male spirit and physically too. So not only was your spirit uh, damaged, your physical self was damaged. It can cause a whole other like range of maladies. And he sparked a resurgence in the masturbation health uh, falsities after publishing, uh, this is in French, La Onassime Dissertation sur les <laughs> maladies produites par la masturbation. Don't quote me on that one. Perfect. Yes, 1758. And many proponents of this man to sew included a founding father named Benjamin Rush, who helped spread that masturbation causes the blindness rumor. Uh, so there's an origin right there. That guy did the masturbation causes blindness, one of the founding fathers. You got to listen to him. He has his name on the Declaration of Independence. Really? Yeah. Thanks, Obama. And then Sylvester Graham, who invented the graham cracker. Nice. Um, <laughs> but he also was a proponent. He was a doctor, proponent of female genital mutilation. So take his word at a grain of salt. And then we also have Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, who created cornflakes to fight masturbatory tendencies. You know, I, I do want to mention something here. Like in the 1940s, I did read this. I don't have the, the, the origin of this or like anything to back it up. But I do remember reading that in the 40s, physicians believed that a uh, pelvic massage would cure most illnesses. A pelvic massage? Mm -hmm. uh, does that yeah, mean that a, a wank or does it? With a woman. Yeah, oh, okay. it was like basically just institutional rape. It was messed up stuff. Yeah. That was like a really big problem. In oh, the like doing a pelvic massage to a woman. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. They the, had tons of things where like they let out the crazies. Yeah. And they like they firmly believed that. And they're um, like, oh, she's hysterical. We need to do this really. And yeah, by and, like her convulsing. I'm not going to get into this. It's assault on a couple mad. different levels. Yeah. I'm going to start getting mad about it. That stuff's so messed up. Yeah. So good point about that one. But. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> Uh, I mean, but real stuff. For yeah, a little I, supplemental it's, stuff. It's pertinent to the topic of conversation. No, it's real stuff, In man. terms of Dr. Graham and Dr. Kellogg, I highly recommend... <laughs> I can't take you seriously. Dr. Graham and Dr. Kellogg. They were doctors know, that created I know, the... I know, but it's like the Graham Cracker and the Cereal Guy, Tony the Tiger. One of my new favorite podcasts, Food Stuff. They're uh, great. They They're are great. amazing. I love them. They actually did an entire episode on Graham Crackers, and that dude was wacky. I highly suggest listening to the episode or all the of Kellogg them. Kellogg stuff was crazy, too. But yeah. that's a good jump-off point. Dr. Graham and Dr. Kellogg. Yes. So, anyway, uh, the 2003 study. We're going to go ahead and start breaking down this whole movement a At, little bit. From the, the Chinese normal college? Piece by piece. We'll start with that, with the testosterone, what we originally started with. Okay. Yes. They're, according to that study... You will get a spike on the seventh day of abstinence on average. It wasn't it, the the mean the mean number was the seventh day. You get that hundred forty seven percent spike on average in testosterone. So one and a half times basically than what you normally get. Yeah. However, it goes back to normal levels the next day. So what? so it's just a little peak, and then afterwards. It's just back to normal levels. There's no other fluctuations. So I was actually had something. So the, the, when I brought the, the boxers a week before. See, I got a little glint in my eye when you said a week because I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. However, that was from 2003. In MMA, actually, that's when that started getting a bit more into the public but, sphere. So. But this is boxing. Yeah. Boxing's been around for oh, how yeah, long? Oh, yeah, you're right. It's been both. But still, that's interesting that it was still a week. Yeah. 
Maybe they're on to something. I, I think this study had something to do with it because you see this on so many bodybuilding forums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, for boxing, maybe for getting ready for a big game or a big fight, maybe that'll do something. But in terms of like increasing your gains, it's only going to happen one day out of the week that you get that extra little push. And not only that, people already supplement. And it's this guy talking about gains over here. <laughs> no, but he's right. If, I'm just <laughs> but you're 100 right. If if you're that interested in making gains and stuff like that, you're going to be taking other things to supplement that. Anyway. Yeah, it's really negligible. 147 percent is not that much bigger, especially considering there's much more than just testosterone yeah. that factors into muscle gains. I mean, no, you're 100 percent right. And if some people that are really into gains and they want to do that, they take anything and everything to get there. And on the bodybuilding forums, there was this one comment that I just had to quote. A user said, lol, this is just teen miscellaneous stuff. So abstinence doesn't mean no sex. It means no wanking. And as much as I love a testosterone boost, I'd rather just smash gash. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was Jay from the Inbetweeners. I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure that was Jay from the Inbetweeners. And it turns out that also there is no correlation to loss of testosterone levels with ejaculation. Really? So not only that, if you don't ejaculate, it's not that you're going to lose testosterone. It'll just be at the same that it usually is. Like there's brief spikes like right before and right after ejaculation that might you'll see something. Yeah. But, but ultimately throughout day to day activity, your testosterone is going to be the same that it usually is. So yep. if you have a tea problem, it's not from you wanking too much. And then you're going to get that small benefit from abstaining. And also, I'm sorry, you're just going to go a little bit crazy just because like, you know, people get horny. It's part of human. We are sexual uh, beings. We it's are a, conditioned a, to do it. Yep. Yes. I was just going to say that. Uh, so testosterone does not lower from ejaculating okay and let's see let's see we're going with some uh, uh the risk of high testosterone let's go with that so that that's one actually day, terrible for you high testosterone can be a big problem yeah i mean that's what happens to a lot of you know bodybuilders that do t-shots and stuff like that yep uh, steroidals so some risks from uh high testosterone levels which you know it's it's terrible it's an existing thing yeah uh let's see they terrible have, for your body like it could be very bad for you yeah i'll put that way heart disease bad uh, atherosclerosis is the particular one. Uh, sleep apnea, which a lot of people get even without high testosterone. I, I, I think we both have some form of sleep apnea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, here's a fun one. Enlarged breasts. That makes total sense. It's, yeah. it's a high-low thing. You can. Huh? They do that in Fight Club. Oh, this is Bob. Bob, Bob. has bitch tits. Well, yep. the deal is. That's what it is. He was a power lifter. Not only that. That was meatloaf. No, that was the whole. No, that was the whole. I know. Oh yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I was, that was the whole thing. I know. Uh, decreased testosterone and increased testosterone levels, like lower than average and higher than average, can both cause. Both ways. Yeah, enlarged breasts. So, Thanks, mom. Yeah, if you want some, if you want some uh, dude tits, go ahead and just boost that testosterone. I believe the medical term is moobs. Yes. Now, as for addiction. It turns out that there was a sampling study from 52 self-proclaimed sex addicts. That's a tongue twister right there. Self-proclaimed sex addicts. And uh, it had some pretty revealing results. Uh, when EEGs were given to them, which are electroencephalograms, there it's just go. to see the electrical pathways in yeah, the brain. Yeah, a, You've mm -hmm. seen it on like crime shows and, and stuff like that. And sleep studies and stuff like that too. Huh? Yeah. The supposed result or the expected result, I guess, was that due to addiction, you would have diminished electrical responses in the brain from being exposed to pornographic or uh, erotic material. So basically what you're telling me is because they were addicted to porn, if they saw a pair of boobs, they wouldn't get aroused. To it, it wouldn't be the same amount right. as a normal as, as, person. As, yeah, normal in quotes. Yes. Yeah, I got you. Uh, and even that uh, at that thing, I guess to give a little bit of credence to it, maybe they just weren't showing the thing that they're into. But I feel like for that study, That's they, they would point. do that. They would account for that. So uh, 
it turns out that the results showed increased electrical response when exposed to these uh, pornographic these materials. Elements, yeah. It was just like normal people. So there was so no difference. There was no diminished response. Huh. So it could be a, just a, kind of a psychological thing. There, it might be merits to people. I mean, there is porn addiction. There are people that cannot control themselves, and it affects their daily lives. Um, but I'm, in terms of physiological effect, that's different from psychological. Uh, mind over matter. That's basically what you're telling me. Yes, and you know it can interrupt people's lives. There are food addictions, there are drug addictions. There are people say you can't get addicted to weed, but you see people on a daily basis. I had this exact conversation last night. That yeah. can't go a day without smoking. It may not be physical, but it can be a psychological thing. Just a, a, we're creatures of habit too. Yeah. No, yeah, I would argue that routine is the biggest culprit in all of this. Yeah, you could be like a, video games. That's something that you can get addicted to that will release those dopamine pathways. Yep. Like you will get a response from it from just the reward system. That's why, you know, we were talking about the whole Battlefront 2 thing recently. Gambling is a whole like reward system. CSGO. That, yeah. All, there's so many different problems mm-hmm. with it. You know, pay to play stuff, you know, freemium games. Anything can be an that. addiction if enough is applied. If you do it enough, it's applied to it. Like it's not just porn. I will say that I'm addic- addicted to breathing. Yes, I, I think I am too. I am very <laughs> rewarded for breathing. So getting into the pheromones, this is the last thing for the actual, like, the, the bullet points. I still got a little bit more to talk about, but the bullet points for pheromones, I like this one a lot because there's no evidence for it whatsoever. Really? All anecdotal. Anytime I searched it, it was just stuff from either the NoFap forums, like the, whether it be the subreddit or the website, yeah. or just other strange, like, you know, get women type of websites talking about, oh, yeah, I didn't masturbate for this long, and I noticed women are talking to me more, when it could just totally be a situational thing, and nobody's always in the same place as talking to people. Mind over matter. Mind over matter, as you had just said. Or, or as our friend Greg over there likes to say, the placebo effect. But here is the kicker. There is even a debate that whether human pheromones even exist at all. Really? Yes. So here's the interesting thing, though. Okay, my dog, when I first got Potter, one of the things that was hard for him is separation anxiety. He still has it. One of the things that I got was like a Glad plug-in, which like you just, like the Glad things you plug into the wall. Glade? Is it Glade? Yeah. Is it Glade or Glad? No, I'm not sure. It's Glade. It's okay. Glade? Well, I thought it was Glad. F*** me. Anyway, Glade plug-in. But in it was a pheromone that the that the mother dog would produce to help him calm down. And there's the difference. That's a dog. I, but that's the thing is that's interesting that humans may not have it, but dogs do. So pheromones are a very interesting thing. Yeah. There's there's a whole evolutionary deal where we may have gone past pheromones because of our communication system. Ah, okay. But the thing is, is that you know pheromones are very important in not only mammals but other animals too. I mean. Flowers are able to be pollinated because they can imitate the pheromone of a certain wasp that'll attract it to it. I mean, or grass when it gets is, cut. Yeah, when they release that pheromone to like when you smell fresh cut grass, that's just a pheromone they release to let them know that. Yeah, they, there's they lots died. of different things that are they use in lieu of like a complex communication system like we have. The, com- the communication thing is interesting because they they've done studies with babies hearing their mother's voice and and them releasing endorphins and things like that. Actually, the only so there are four steroid molecules that have been posited as human pheromones, but no studies have given any concrete evidence to confirm it. The closest one they believe might be a pheromone involved with um, the suckling of a baby to like a mother's nipple maybe like releases pheromones to attract the baby hungry. to it. Yeah, that type of deal. But that isn't a sexual pheromone. Right, really. right. That, that's, that's, There's nothing I'm that'll hungry, just like get women over to you. Right. And you see all these gurus like selling these pheromone types of stuff that you can put on you and all that bullshit to try to get women, but it's really just predatory. 
uh, in both senses, you're actually being predatory to somebody who wants to be a predator to like convince a woman they like you more than they actually do because you're wearing something that attracts them more than they normally would be. Uh, the pickup artist? Yeah, the pickup artist deal. And it turns out that even if there are pheromones, like I said, due to our communication system and the way human society and culture works, it would be negligible. Yeah. It would be, we could, we'd have to be treated as completely different animals, like, and studied as it, if pheromones were discovered. We'd have to rewrite a couple of things biologically in our books. So, huh. Okay. So, the wow. whole, and yeah, the, what really got me was that when I was looking up all these pheromone things of what it would increase, there was never a particular pheromone name given out. It was just and that pheromone. And was, that was my first inkling that there might be something wrong with this. Yeah. So, yeah, when you see, uh, for research, if you're ever doing something, if you see something that is too broad and not any specifics to the point where you can't understand what's being written, it's too easy to do, or just people saying, yeah, I really noticed a difference, it probably isn't true. Yeah. Or it's just anecdotal at best. There is enough studies. Now that we got that out the way, I looked up women. There's no real issue or no real info. All anecdotals. Huh. Just women saying, yeah, I was able to focus a little bit more or anything like that, you know. As you said with the MMA thing, that might be true, but there have been no studies on that, like that can prove it. on like women, you know, abstaining and having a certain type of uh, sex hormone increase or decrease for it, huh. or it affecting them psychologically or physiologically. So let's go with some common pros of masturbating to kind of combat what a lot of the nofap community have said. Feels good. Yeah, number one, feels good. <laughs> uh, but during ejaculation, men and women release a cocktail of brain chemicals. Nothing? No, I'm going to let it go. Okay, I thought you were just really going to step on that one. <laughs> uh, and these chemicals include norepinephrine, serotonin, oxytocin, vasopress vasopressin, and nitric oxide. We've talked about several of these the yeah, first time with our, uh, I think, sex episode. We, we talked we about too. boners before. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And uh, it also it releases a hormone called prolactin. And the release of prolactin is linked to the feeling of sexual satisfaction, and it also mediates recovery time that men are well aware of. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. And the time a guy must wait before giving it another go. Greg's awfully quotes. quiet about this. Yeah, right? <laughs> Greg, what are you doing under... Okay. All right, stop uh, it, Greg. <laughs> studies have also shown that uh, men deficient in prolactin have faster recovery times. Huh, okay. Um, but prolactin levels are naturally higher during sleep, and animals injected with the chemical <laughs> become tired immediately, <laughs> which is why uh, you get better sleep from the prolactin release, uh, reduced stress and tension because of the oxytocin vasopressin, sorry, vasopressin, keep messing that one up, uh, two other chemicals released during orgasm are also associated with sleep. So that's why after you automatically fall asleep a it's, lot of times It's after. released more for men, too. Huh. So uh, the release frequently accompanies that of melatonin. So it pretty much regulates our, our body clocks. Nice. And it oxytocin reduces stress levels and, again, could lead to relaxation and sleepiness, which, on that note, is why I see a lot of, like, you know, performers, like, speakers, anybody that goes on stage to a mass crowd of people to fight the anxiety of it and to kind of, like, release themselves, aside from taking a shot. Go tug one out beforehand. Yes. That is a common thing that people claim to do. That is a very... I, dude, I, I have heard that time and time again, and people swear by it. Yeah. So... Now, I mean, I'm not someone, like, I don't get nervous talking in front of crowds, but I, I know people who absolutely swear by that. Yeah. I know it's anecdotal, but still. I mean, I would completely believe it. Yeah, I would too. you just feel more relaxed afterwards, and mm -hmm. it's just like, let's do it. I mm -hmm. mean, whether you actually, you know, they say either you, you know, just crank one out or you have sex with somebody. Yeah. And that'll give you that boost of confidence, because just like, what better confidence booster than, you know, getting laid, honestly. Then, yeah. Works both ways, men, women, whoever. So... 
that wraps that one up. We'll go ahead and just kind of like put that into a bow once we get to the end. But Josh, let's get to your last topic. Yeah, my last topic topic this evening kind of goes into this isn't like a nice bow because parts of this have been brought up between my my second topic and what you've brought up at various points. It's been nice. Recently, we've been having things kind of like fit into each other. Yeah, as we go unintentionally, on. by the way, like yeah. not planned. And we have mentioned this at some point before. I'm like 95% sure. And the my last topic this evening is that your mother's father determines baldness. Now, there is some truth to this. The baldness gene is linked to the X chromosome, which if you remember from basic biology, is from your mother. So, Ryan, say hi to your mother for me. me. (laughs) But the gene itself is passed down from both sides of the family. And the baldness gene may actually skip a generation, which I did not know. Well, that's why they would say the mother's father. Right, but I didn't think that it might actually skip a generation because you might, I mean, I'll get to that, but it's entirely, like, basically it means it's entirely possible for my older brother to look like Fabio and I look like Sir Patrick Stewart. Oh, okay. Like, see something like that. Yeah, you know, that's interesting to me because it sounds like really, really uh, dumbed down, not dumbed down, but like scaled down genetics, like the basic level idea of genetics. like uh, A Punnett square. Yeah, Mendelian genetics right there. Yeah, so. that's that's the I mean, but it, it works, though. It, like it works. Um, you can determine how likely it is you will be bald by looking at the men in your family uh, there. Is, that will give you some indication what's in store for your future. This just applies to men, right? Yes. OK. Um, so if you have like, you know, 15 uncles, brothers, cousins and stuff like that, all from the same side of the family and 13 of them are completely bald by the time they're 25. There's a good chance that you're going to be bald by the time you're 25. Nah. Yeah, it just it's just kind of how genetics work. There's no way around it. It's not saying that it's definite, but it is. And there's actually uh, the last thing uh, I'll end with here for this episode is that there it's in the show notes. There's something called the Norwood scale. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. But I mean, thinking about like the generational thing. So what about the mother's side? It, it factors into it. You get it from both sides of your family. It's more prominent on your mother's side than it is your father's side. Because there's stuff like colorblindness that are only carried on certain like chromosomes right like, oh, oh, on certain you know the, either the x or the y chromosomes so there are sex related traits right that you get and it doesn't have to do with the actual sex of the person it's just what you get from your mother only right. or right. what you get from your father only well you but you get this from both of them okay so it's so but, it's kind of false on the mother's side thing it is it is because while you do get more from your mother it you get it from both your parents it's it's I, i'm not going to give it a number because i i didn't come across a way to like percentage wise which way it comes from but you tend to get it more from your mother than your father, but your father's side does play into it. Now, the Norwood scale, which I thought was very interesting, it is a classification system that describes hair loss patterns in male pattern baldness. And there's type one all the way through type seven. And there's a chart. It's really interesting, um, but you can see it like it from a full head of hair to just like a what do we call the it? cul-de-sac a cul-de-sac. Yeah, basically the Patrick Stewart. Yeah, but well, pa- you know, Patrick Stewart's not bald. Well, in completely a, bald now. Yeah. Well, in um, in uh, in Star the next Trek? generation, yeah, he kind of had the cul de sac. Yeah, he did. Up. He did. Yeah, that's true. And that that is type seven. But there's type one, two, three, three vertex, four, five, six, and seven. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, there are people that specialize in hair specifically. So yeah, I mean, there is a bunch of stuff out there, like from the FDA and stuff like that, that you can get that I'm sure would help. But um, luckily, we don't have to worry about that right now. And uh, I've always been a proponent that if I'm going bald, I'm just going to say, fuck it and shave the whole thing. Oh, yeah. The I, second that happens, I'm just going to shave it. I'm not going to try to salvage it. But it's then we'd with. be screwed because we'd lose all our body. Then we would lose all of our fucking... <laughs> yeah, it's come full circle. 
Um, yeah, but that's it. So uh, your your baldness doesn't necessarily come just from your mother. So um, I think that's a good way to end this because we'll go back and say yeah, mucus color. Yeah, mucus color um, determines the viral or bacterial infection. That's false. Yeah. Um, it's more just an indicator that you have an infection. Yeah, and it's just your mucus trying to protect yourself and um, keep your body uh, working properly. Yeah, and then the pimple triangle of death. Yes, there is an infection involved with that little area of your face, but it's not associated with just popping pimples. And as a matter of fact, there's a very, very, very loose to no correlation with it. Right. But if you have an issue there, find a doctor. Yep. Uh, you lose 90% of your body heat through your head. That's false. You do lose body heat through your head, but it's nowhere near that much. Probably more like 10 to 12% at most is what I was reading. Um, no fap. No fap is long story short. I know we covered the, that was the, the, that was the workhorse of this episode. Long story. Essentially it is a well-intentioned community that is very misled because all of their bullet points are pretty much wrong. Yes. You can get into a testosterone increase on the seventh day of abstinence and, and that's, that's about it. it. Yeah. And all the other things that they're positing are just straight up. Not true. Yep. Uh, no pheromones probably even exist for humans. You don't lose testosterone and also, the porn addiction can be applied to just about anything else. Yeah, insert any, literally insert anything else, and it, it would be the same. Um, I am, I am very curious that if we're going to get an email about the whole pheromones not being real thing, um, I, I will say I won't hold you to a penalty. I, shot I have for that. a few NCBI articles talking about the research to find a human pheromone. Huh. Okay. I mean, I've, there are ones that have been posited as possibly these certain steroid molecules in the human body that are maybe pheromones, but there hasn't been enough study on them or it's just very loose correlation. And also that's kind of not the way humans work. Like, you know, it just, it's, it's negligible. Yeah. I, I, no, I'm, I, I'm really curious to see what, what some of I am always say. welcome to emails. I'll oh, talk about it. We've we done always it before. Are. Yeah. And uh, the last thing is mother's father determines baldness. No, not necessarily. You get it from both your parents, but it is a good indication whether or not you will be bald. So I'll put that at like 52% false. Yeah. <laughs> like it's close, but uh, I wouldn't put it that way. Um, it's a coin flip away. Uh, so we will say that Greg eventually, uh, I will say that unfortunately Greg had to run out real quick. He got called out to uh, another business meeting, but he did look up the Uncle Furries, and it was all... For uncles. For uncles, whatever. Uncle Furries. It's going to be a movement after we start. I like it. Um, he did see all about the boils, but he said that there was some body w within that furry community that... He's kinda... big, but he is the only fur uncle that they can refer to at the yeah. moment. There is not a whole subgenre. No. Um, so, with that being said, we just want to take a minute and say thank you to everyone for tuning in this season. We had a blast. Thank you all of our Patreons. You guys make this possible. We are forever grateful for all the help that you guys give us. We love the interactions on Twitter. We love the messages we get. Um, we have a new favorite fifth, fifth grade class, I will say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they definitely beat the other fifth grade class that yeah. I was really eyeing for. But, um. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's just been great. It's been a great season. And uh, we all just wanted to say thank you very much for that. It's been a hell of a season. And we can't wait for to see what the next one has in store for us. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, contact, it's like every season's been better. We've been getting more followers and everything, more people interacting with us. So thank you for that. 
Obviously, we're very approachable on all the Facebook stuff, all the Twitter stuff, all the Instagrams. Just search Rumor Flies and you got that. Our website's rumorfliespodcast.com. Rumorflies at gmail.com. Patreon.com slash rumorflies. Yep, that's and pretty much it. Yeah, if you want to contact that way, that's great. We're not going to give you an assignment anymore. We love reviews and we just love contacts, but yeah. just it's free for all. Look for some cool bonus episodes in the meantime, but thank you for being here for the season. I am Ryan. I am Josh, and Greg is not here. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.